0: Welcome to the Storied Page Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Gott.
1: And I'm your host, Buddy Gott.
0: On each episode, we'll chat about books we've read.
1: And books we're excited to read.
0: Because we're writers, we'll also discuss the connections between creating art
1: and enjoying it. So
0: grab a cuppa and join us.
1: We look forward to reading with you.
0: Hi everyone, this is Lisa.
1: And this is Buddy.
0: And we're here for our second episode, which is super exciting.
1: I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this. Yes,
0: we had a lot of fun.
1: We did, and we thank all of you who listened to the first episode.
0: Yes. Um, So I actually had a pretty good month uh, for, for reading. I can say after having a horribly long reading hiatus for like a year and a half at the beginning of the pandemic which is odd because you would have thought I would have read more during the pandemic uh I Uh, uh, am uh, happy to feel totally back into my reading uh self
1: you have been reading a lot and it's inspired me to read a lot yeah it's good to as much as we love tv it's good to turn that off once in a while and just kind of dive into reading
0: yeah um I didn't have, I'm happy to say, I didn't have any DOAs, no duds on arrival. I did have... One book that was slightly disappointing, I still whizzed through it and enjoyed it. Last episode, I talked about Frieda McFadden's The Housemaid, yes, uh, which was a psychological thriller, and I devoured uh, that book.
1: I know you loved it. Uh,
0: And so I was really excited to kind of continue the story because um, The Housemaid's Secret is the second book, and it follows the same protagonist, uh, Millie Calloway. Um, who has kind of a criminal past, so it's mm-hmm. hard for her to find jobs, which is the perfect opening for a story, right? Because it's one of the reasons I struggled sometimes, yeah, <laughs> the criminal
1: past can get you.
0: Is uh, it makes it uh, e- easy to understand uh, that the character might take something that someone else had. They thought about it for two seconds, uh, might either quit or not take the job. Uh, so she's, uh, you know, hired to. Um, not not just be a housemaid, but almost kind of like be a little bit of a, a private chef and there's uh another locked room situation oh in this where um, you know, she's thankfully not gonna be in the locked room this time. <laughs> well, but um good. there's the mysterious wife of this man who hired her. Hmm. Um so there's a lot of intriguing elements and I have to say that in comparison to the plot of the first book. This plot was more nuanced. Um and I did enjoy. I thought it was very clever mm-hmm. uh the undertaking. However, um there were portions of it that seemed to drag a little bit. A lot of um, you know, uh parts that just weren't necessary to keep the plot moving forward and perhaps that's just the writer and me picking that right. apart. But I you know, you and I have talked about it. I, I think whether you're a writer or not, readers are more analytical about how they read books than they probably themselves even. Yeah, I believe you're right. Realize. Um, So uh, one of my, I guess, pet peeves a little bit with Frieda McFadden's writing would be that uh, there's a little bit more telling than there is showing. So it kind of feels like somebody's just kind of you know, sitting down and telling, they walked there, which kind of takes away that magical element of the story kind of coming to life in in your head. Um, The tension and conflict was there, like the first one, but it wasn't as strong um, Hmm. as it. So so overall, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed the first one more.
1: Right. And I think sometimes that's hard when you have a first book in a series that is just so wonderful yes you know it's Mm -hmm. hard to get someone something to follow that up let me ask you this I don't know if this is even possible to really answer because I don't know the stories obviously as well as you do because I didn't read these but say this second book had been the first book in the series Mm -hmm. do you think you may have liked it a little more than you did I
0: probably would have yes Mm -hmm. and this is why sometimes you know series scare me yeah, uh, I, I'm petrified, I'll be honest, because especially I'm, uh, for those of you who don't know me, you'll quickly learn that I'm a little bit uh, obsessive about buying books. And I probably <laughs> should think about a things little bit. a little bit more than I do. For instance, you know, when Amazon keeps sending me coupons to get Louise Penny's books, I bought the entire 18 or 19 books that are out so far. <laughs> I haven't even finished. I, I started reading Still Life like a year and a half ago, loved it and got pulled away from it, I think because of the pandemic and all that stuff and i've been wanting to get back to it but i mean honestly i haven't even finished that book i could absolutely hate her writing after three books and be like wow well you know okay but (laughs) what can you do uh a deal is a deal but series do scare me because it's just uh there's a potential there for you to get bored
1: yeah Um, it's true
0: especially if they're not if they're cookie cutters uh which I have to say in this instance and I don't I, I do think there is going to be another installment of the Housemaid series. I don't think I would continue it. Totally would try Freedom mm-hmm. McFadden another book by her. Right. I think she has a new book coming out soon called uh Ward D uh, which is oh. releasing maybe this week or something. And for those of you who have Kindle Unlimited, um I think all of her books are on Kindle Unlimited. Oh, wow. so yeah, you Kindle Unlimited
1: is really, great for those kinds of things. You
0: could really do a, a deep dive. So that was my first uh, book of the month. So uh, happily, I finished it. It, <laughs> I, it wasn't a, a DNF. It, wasn't, uh, it yeah. wasn't a do not finish. Uh, so I think a best case scenario of a um, of a month is that you have one that maybe disappointed. That didn't didn't you know live up to your expectations as much as you hoped, but. Uh, I, I still, with that said, enjoyed it. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. That's
1: good. And, and you know, a lot of the things that you were saying there tie into what I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. for my sort of, uh, I'm using air quotes here, my dud uh, <laughs> dud book for the month. And that is, well, this was part of a series. That's where the tie-in comes in. It's the first in a series uh, of uh, the Death Series by J.D. Robb. And J.D. Robb is a pen name for Nora Roberts, who, of course, is... One of, you know, no doubt about it, one of the most successful authors of the past 50 years. I mean, she has bestseller after bestseller in writing romance. And these books are a combination of romance and mystery. And I'd heard of this series, well, since it came out. The first book, this one, first book in this series is called Naked in Death. And this was published in 1995. And these books center around a detective. Her name is Lieutenant Eve Dallas, who works in New York City. It's not the New York Police Department. It's different because it's in the future. It's in the year. This first book takes place in 2058. Wow. Yeah. And she works for the New York Police and Security Department. So it's the NYPSD. (laughs) And I was intrigued. We both had discovered this book at the same time yeah. where we're like oh this is a futuristic yeah you know series with this detective and and I thought it'd be fun to read you know murder mysteries but with a sort of a sci-fi element and seeing what they had in mind for futuristic technology and it's interesting because I, I only read a little bit of this but It's intriguing because this was written in 1995 and takes place in 2058, which I'm going to be in my early nineties then that's kind of, that's (laughs) kind of scary. But, um, it's sort of like watching an old Star Trek show from the sixties where the futuristic things (laughs) don't look so futuristic. They don't look so futuristic anymore. Like in this one, they're talking about these discs Uh that information are stored on. Oh Lord. And and that's not really even done anymore now in the 2020s. So, you know, I'm certainly not faulting the author for that. You're not going to be able to know what's really going to happen in the future. That's sort of like the old Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And I think
0: that's an interesting, uh, you know, question there is, is, you know sometimes like even with tv shows we are forgiven we we are forgiving uh about maybe uh, certain elements like that especially shows that are set in the future if the characters really compel us in and i think from what you and i talked about when you had started this is that you just weren't feeling a terribly um you know strong connection to the character which is a. One of the big problems with plot-driven books, right? Because you don't have, you know, authors don't take as much of the time to really do what they need to to develop the character for you to care about them. Right. So do you think that that played an element in it? I think
1: think that played an element in it. Uh, There were elements certainly in this lead character, Eve Dallas, that I liked quite a bit. I thought she was a strong character uh seemed to be a good detective who cared a lot about her job i thought and maybe this was because it was in the first series usually in first books in ongoing series like this one because this book this series is ongoing where there's over 50 books of yeah. them now
0: see overwhelming to uh, me. yeah
1: that's a bit overwhelming and, and usually those kinds of detective things are self-contained enough you, right. know, you can pick up at one and be okay but i thought uh the character at first was a little bit too much like uh, you know, I'm this great badass. I I I'm so tough. I I can take down any situation. Like there was this one chapter where. It seemed like it really didn't have much else to do with the story, but she was walking into a convenience store, and it just so happened a robbery was going on, oh, and wow. she thwarted it, which was great, but it was just uh, i don't know it, it felt unnecessary <laughs>
0: now you know who I'm picturing in my head as you're talking about Who's this that? this female you know it, it, detective that's really like hard nosed is I'm thinking about the show. That we had started to watch, but then it's kind of fizzled out from us. It's Big Sky. (laughs) Big
1: Sky. Because,
0: I don't know, these... I mean, I I have to say, the first first part of the season was, was pretty compelling. Pretty good.
1: With um, Ronald, the truck driver. Yeah. If those, oh, yeah. He's if you've cool. seen the show, you probably know who we're talking about.
0: But um, it was
1: but, a pretty compelling you know, what story. Are
0: the, what are the um, investigators and the detective, <laughs> It's Cassie.
1: <laughs> yeah, the one you're talking about is Jenny Hoyt.
0: Jenny Hoyt. She yes. was this,
1: uh, she worked at, this, when the series started off, and this we are going to talk about books here, but, and actually this was based on a book. Books. So yes, was, CJ so, Box. Yes, by CJ Box. Uh, she was a partner with her husband in a private investigation agency and then her husband's killed right at the beginning of the story. Well,
0: she walks with swagger. She
1: walks with swagger. And it's it's kind of crazy because it's the same thing where it's like, oh, she's so bad. She's a little too badass. So all
0: all you talking about this this Eve Dallas, which I love the name, by the way. It's a great name. Um, I, I just see her walking with swagger.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. And like I said, she was a likable enough character. But all right, here's where my big beef came with this. And this isn't so much with the book, but it's the way that this particular book – Was presented to me like I said this series is ongoing and the edition that I picked up was I believe a 25th anniversary edition of the novel and it started off with a foreword by the author J.D. Robb and and that's fine I figured okay well I'll read this you know it'll it'll touch upon maybe it'll be like oh I've enjoyed writing this and I'm glad the fans have enjoyed it Blah, 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 because you see that a lot. Yeah, and I don't mean to say blah, blah, me, blah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, 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 I feel rude for saying blah, blah, blah there because, you know, it's an, it's impressive for an author right. to do something like that. And yeah. I'm not trying to knock J.D. Robb slash Nora Roberts. But uh, I thought it would be a nice thing to read, especially as a writer, seeing, mm-hmm. you know, what an inspiration. Right. Someone's written over 50 books in this series. But my problem with this is something I've experienced in other anniversary editions of books is that – too much of the plot was given away oh. in this forward, and it actually. Th- this is, of course, a murder mystery. In this particular book, there is a high-priced prostitute. Prostitution is legal oh. in this time period, but it's something that's run, you know, sort of it's 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 regulated by the government, and so right. on, uh, for health purposes and all that. Um, but, <laughs> what a world! <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, this high-priced prostitute is murdered, and eve is trying to solve it the problem is is that one of the suspects in this i I don't i'm 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 talking slowly because i don't want to give away anything here um the the author refers to this one major suspect in the foreword and talks about this suspect's future life throughout this series right and i guess how this one character actually is a very pivotal Mm -hmm. part of that and that for me sort of ruined this book because I'm a couple chapters into it and you're seeing the detective, Eve, investigating this crime and looking at this person as a suspect. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I know that they're not the Ah. killer. You know, that they're setting this up to where this person could legitimately be the killer. But what's the point of me reading this? Because I know that they're going to continue on in the series, and and it doesn't sound like the way it was presented. They're not continuing on as oh, what a swell killer you right. were, you yeah. know. It's someone who you know obviously was not the killer, and and the the thing that I don't get is I, I I mean it's certainly okay to refer to things in the book, but most people who are buying a book, whether it's a new edition or a twenty fifth edition, are reading it for the first time. Yeah. So why include that stuff in there? If you want to have it, maybe put it as an afterword, after the yeah, book.
0: Exactly. Or, or make sure, just like on, like we've actually talked about even for this podcast, that there might be times where most of the time we're not going to be reading the same books because that's just, you know, we have different tastes and different, right. you know, moods for things. But there will be times when both of us have read the same book that we thought about it might be nice to have a specific episode, deep dive, doing a deep dive in into everything about that book but it would be it would basically be chock full of spoilers mm-hmm. and we would have to put on there look if you haven't read this book don't listen to this this episode and it bothers me even with everything in pop culture you know like people are like oh this has been around for for so long you had to read it but no that's the whole point is you should you should always be trying to not ruin the experience for somebody who hasn't gotten there exactly. yet so that's really frustrating it is
1: and i'm going to bring up one other situation which you know really frustrated <laughs> yes. me uh many of you are, i'm sure are familiar with the popular book series and it actually was turned into a famous television miniseries of uh, Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove, very mm-hmm. famous Western, and I think was for certain, I, I don't know if it was the 1970s or 80s, but very, very successful. Big meaty book. It was right. several hundred pages long. And I was excited to read I I just picked it up about, I guess, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was excited to read it because it's this big, epic tale with this group of cowboys mm-hmm. and others. Um, And it was the same thing. I picked up an anniversary edition of it. (laughs) And I started reading the the foreword by the author before I started reading the actual book. And I could see within the first page or so of this that he was giving away that a couple of these characters died in the book. And I Mm -hmm. I I, I saw that this foreword was probably at least 10 pages long. And I stopped myself right then. I'm like, okay, you stop reading this foreword right now because you already know about two of the characters Mm -hmm. dying. Just forget about it. Read the book. And then afterward, after you're done reading the book, go back to the forward, yeah. so I did that, and i I enjoyed the book a lot. It was pretty epic it was yeah. it was it was difficult because it was a longer book and that, and uh, that might be someone something to talk about in a future episode, but when I finished that right, I finished the book, I went back to read that forward again. I'm reading it, and I see where he's referred to the characters who died in the book, and I'm like, that's cool, you know. I already read it, but then at the end of this forward, he talks about a character death in the next book oh, in the series. Oh no! And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! I, I, I can't believe you just ruined. That part of the next book, which, you know, I'm not, I don't even have in front of me right now. Yeah. So I wish that they did not do that. I wish, pub- I don't blame the authors so much. Uh, I kind of blame the, uh, maybe I do blame them a little bit. They shouldn't do that well, unless they know it's an afterword. To be yeah.
0: honest, like we just come up with stories, right? And we write stuff that, that yeah. should be your publication team should yeah. be maybe thinking about that. Perhaps maybe an editor. editor. Yeah. yeah because exactly. you would think that
1: they want to sell more copies of those books. So I mean, maybe not should, give them away. They should pretty
0: much just, you know, go into it and, and think of a, us as you know you know the the stupid silly little imaginative <laughs> people that we are and that we need all the help that we we can
1: get so so yeah so that's where i stand with it i wouldn't say naked in death i'm not i don't want to call it a dud on arrival for me but it was it did not finish and a, a, except I don't want to say it was bad because really her writing was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, for whatever reason, it wasn't connecting with yeah. me. It, it wasn't connecting with me. And also, you know, I, I wanted to stop reading because I, I, I knew that this one... I, I felt, almost felt like I was wasting my time because right. too much of the story was given away. Yeah. So do you want to talk about uh, a book that you read and enjoyed or uh, maybe didn't enjoy? I don't know what you're going to say.
0: <laughs> well, the next one was... Um, I actually... I think, ironically, I we've owned about three versions of this book. Oh. I, I'm also a little nutty. Um, I like to buy books and then say, oh, I'm not going to read them, and then later say I am, so I buy them again. I think I've had the Kindle version and the paperback twice. Uh, so anyways, I uh, I it was actually a required reading for uh, this class that I'm taking, so I was happy to see it was one of the choices I picked, and that's The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Oh, yeah. I gotta tell you, these little ladies um, have some problems. Uh, it was quite a ride. I mean, I'm not sure this is a train you would want to get on. Um, it's more like a roller coaster that leaves you absolutely exhausted. It's like wow. those, those uh, carnival rides where you go in and they spin you oh, around and around and around. Right. And you, kind of feel, you have fun, but you feel sick to your stomach afterwards. Yes.
1: Uh, I know sometimes I'd glance over at you as you were reading it, and you, your mouth was just, your jaw was dropped, and you had this look on your uh, face like, what in the world? I mean you were enjoying yourself, obviously, well, but
0: it's told from three different point of views. So, um and, and they're all women and they're all and they're all first person perspectives. Now, first person point of view, uh for those who are readers and don't know or care to know about the nuances, first person point of view, one of the the cons of it can be that the narration is not reliable. Uh, which might make you think oh I don't want to use first person po- uh point of view you know the i me mm-hmm. you know all that but actually that's a it, that's a actually element that you can use in certain types of genres like thrillers mysteries and all that because an unreliable narrator creates suspense and conflict and, and all of that and uh so it was it, it was a good choice to have three first person point of views uh Rachel is the predominant um protagonist, uh, she is an alcoholic, which I thought the that uh, element of her character was kind of a brilliant use. You know, people who suffer from alcohol abuse often have blackouts and all of that. So add uh, emotional abuse, trauma, you know, tragedy in life and a substance abuse problem on top of it. I'm not sure you could get a much more unreliable narrator yeah I would
1: think um
0: she doesn't even trust herself uh and you see that it's completely evident so you both uh you kind of feel for all of the women uh narrators at, at times the other one is Megan who actually becomes a source of um obsession for Rachel Rachel takes the train every day. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that used to be her commute to her job. But she doesn't have a job anymore. She was laid off. Mm. She lives... uh, She rents a room from uh, a friend who basically... Bad for her, and she's lied to her. She never came clean to tell her that she lost her job, so she gets on the train every day and just rides downtown.
1: Oh, to make it look like she's going to work? To make
0: it look like she's going to work. Oh, that's interesting. So she's unreliable to the people who know her, too. You know, Uh, they think she's going to, you know, she thinks she's going to work, and she's not. Well, on the train, she she watches, you know, anyone who's ridden a train, you you watch life kind of slowly and sometimes not so slowly, you know, fly by you as the train Mm -hmm. moves along the tracks. And so she's kind of enamored by this row of houses. And um, one house in particular is a couple stories up from a house she used to live in. When she was married, she is divorced. Oh, okay, um, and she starts referring to this woman as Jess, and her husband is Jason. She's completely made these names up. She, you know, you and I talk about creating fables. She's <laughs> she's completely created a fable of these these people. So she oh, wow. sees, you know, the woman on the back porch, and she sees the husband like sometimes rub her shoulders or bring her a drink, and so she's concocted this. This, you know, vivid image of this life. And in some ways, I think she kind of wants to be Jess. Or maybe it reminds her of what she had with her ex-husband, you know, Tom. So Megan Mm -hmm. uh, is the actual woman's real name. Her name is Megan and her husband is Scott. Now, I'll tell you, that was a little confusing at first because you've got all these... You know, uh Rachel's referring to Jess and J- Jason, but then I'm reading about Megan and Scott, and I'm like, no, that's right, which, yeah, is <laughs> so, that who she's
1: talking about?
0: And then there's a third point of view, Anne, and Anne is the wife of Rachel's ex husband, Tom. Uh he- she is the woman that Tom cheated on Rachel with. Oh, so there is obviously okay. some some animosity there. Um, and Anne is not one of the prominent point of views, but she does, she's kind of scattered towards around, her point of view and perspective is scattered a little bit in the first like half of the book. But then as you kind of climb towards the climax of the story, she it alternates pretty regularly and rapidly between Rachel, Megan, and Anne. Uh, mm-hmm. The chapters are kind of long at first, which is obviously a technique to slow the pace of the novel mm-hmm. and really give a deep dive into the... Uh, internal dialogue of these characters, but uh, the chapters do quickly start to get shorter, again as you're racing towards that climax. And uh, the other thing that was interesting is that it's told in two different timelines. Oh The point of view of um, Rachel and Anne are told in the present. But the point of view of Megan is told in the past, and the reason for that is is Megan's timeline is is leading up to the point where she goes missing, and that's where the obsession kind of oh. comes in. The girl on the train, which is Rachel, one day, uh, you know, she sees this, you know, uh, this woman, and then she reads that that woman goes missing. So Megan goes missing, and she kind of becomes infatuated with trying to solve it. Herself, oh, interesting! Wow. Uh, while also kind of losing herself in alcohol and the past that she wants to change, and wow. just a lot of things happen, and she ends up kind of becoming almost a suspect, and and you start to wonder: Is she? Is
1: she? Is yeah. she?
0: Or is Anne? Right. Or did uh, Megan do something? Or is it someone? Someone else? Uh, I really enjoyed the story I can't uh recommend it enough I'm, I'm curious to watch the movie edition of it to see how it uh compares I did have a couple nitpits uh nit, nitpicks uh which was that um I understood why the three women sounded similar is kind of like I think Rachel uh Paul Hawkins was trying to kind of I don't know, drown you in there. All of them had tragedy and kind of mental anguish and were dealing with a lot of the same kind of emotional struggles. Uh, So I understand the fact that maybe having them all seem similar was helping to drive home that feeling. And then also these women all kind of sort of maybe didn't really like each other in some ways. Oh, okay. But it also kind of shows that they're more similar than they are. However, I still feel like even people who are similar are going to have some element of them that is unique. Yes, definitely. I felt like there wasn't enough in the narration of their voices that made them different. So between the different names and the different timelines, at times it did get a little confusing to remember who you were whose brain you were in, because they all kind of sounded... Yeah, that can um, be
1: frustrating as a reader, even when it's a compelling story, when you start mm-hmm. to lose track of those things. And
0: like, then the only other nit, um was there was um, one subplot that was kind of interesting. It was a very small subplot and I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to ruin anything uh for someone reading it but there was one subplot that I was really curious and I it was kind of a red herring and I understand to a certain extent those are Uh, craft elements that writers can use to distract the reader and send them off on a different, you know, tangent to surprise them. But I felt like that space uh, used for that story could have been used maybe to develop the characters a little bit Uh, and create suspense in a different way because it really did nothing for the plot. It had Uh, nothing to do with it. And it just kind of was um, a not a purposeful distraction, I thought. But other other than that, I... um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would definitely recommend it to somebody who, who would like to, uh, you know, I don't know, feel really exhausted <laughs> after reading it.
1: <laughs> it sounds really compelling, <laughs> and I, I keep going back and forth as to whether I want to read the book or watch the movie with you, because I know we have it on one of the 572 streaming services that we pay for.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I'll have to think about mm-hmm. that some more. That sounds really good, though.
0: Now, how about you? Did you have anything that um, you were able to finish? And oh yeah, yeah, I
1: had, I had a couple of things. And <laughs> matter of fact, <laughs> the first one I had mentioned at the end of our previous episode oh. because I had just started reading this book then, and that's a classic novel from 1971 by Charles Bukowski called mm-hmm. Post Office, yep. and it was his first novel. And we, you and I had talked about this book for years before I started reading it. You had recommended mm-hmm. it to me. And even before you and I got together, I had heard about this book and I had heard about Bukowski for a long time. And I think that I had sort of this feeling that it wasn't going to be for me mm-hmm. because whenever I would hear about Bukowski, I knew that he was supposed to be like a a champion of the downtrodden people mm-hmm. maybe the ones who drank too much and did too many drugs and were, were you know the on the darker side of life and and sometimes those kinds of things I don't know it can kind of frustrate me because I don't like to see some of those things gl- glorified so right. I wasn't sure what to expect going into this mm-hmm. but as i mentioned in the last episode i did start reading and i think i was one or two chapters in at that point and even though this character – I mean, right within the first couple of pages, you see this guy is cheating on his <laughs> – I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember if it was his wife or his girlfriend. That was always mm-hmm. a little unclear. But he was cheating on his longtime, at least lover, uh, with someone that he met on his mail route. At that point, he was a substitute mail carrier for mm-hmm. the post office. And then he was talking about getting drunk and gambling. Right within the first pages, you knew he was just – well, he wasn't someone that I want to hang out with.
0: And you learned something really pivotal, which is why sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you're past- Packages don't arrive on time <laughs> or they're misdelivered. That's, mis- that's they're,
1: why our mail was they're late drunk They're drunk or they're, you know, uh,
0: getting busy with your neighbor. Oh, that's
1: <laughs> funny. But um, anyway, actually, this book is um, this character that's in this book and is actually in the majority of Bukowski's mm-hmm. novels. He only wrote five or six novels is uh, this anti-hero named Henry Chinasky or Chinasky. And he is pretty much a fictionalized alter ego of Bukowski himself. Uh Um,
0: You saw that a lot of that, even with Hemingway, you know, some autobiographical kind of characters. And I guess to a certain extent, our first books are kind of always like that a little bit. Right. But he really kind of dived into it.
1: Yeah, because apparently Bukowski himself, I think it was the the late 50s where or the very early 60s, went to work for the post office, Mm -hmm. just like this character where he started off as a substitute mail carrier. uh, Drank and, you know, sexed it up with all these women and Mm -hmm. had these questionable relationships and situations with people. Uh, Very, very happy gambler. He did that for a while. Bukowski, and then the same thing with the character, and then left the post office for a while to pretty much gamble. Mm -hmm. He he horse he went he would go to the uh, horse racing track all the time and just gambled for a few years. Then he ended up back at the post office, and in real life, uh, Bukowski, I think towards the latter part of the 1960s, he was already putting out some poetry compilations, but they were really very uh, inexpensively done. I think they were put out pretty much as flyers that were dispensed to people. And there's this man who was a successful uh, businessman named John Martin out in California. And he was a fan of Bukowski's writing. And he decided to sell his business and start up his own press, which he called Black Sparrow Press. And he did this for the sole intention of, uh, making Bukowski famous. He wanted wow. him to publish his works with him. Wow,
0: that's pretty
1: cool. So, yeah, and boy, it was a different time back then. Apparently he had, because he, he felt so strongly about Bukowski, he said, I want you to quit your job at the post office mm-hmm. and just write for me full time. Wow. And the reason I say it was so different is because he was he was offering him $100 a month to do that. Ah! <laughs> so you leave your job at the post office and for $100 a month, I will pay you to work on these wow. books. And he said, Bukowski did a lot with poetry, but he said, you'd be better off starting with us doing a novel. Right. So I think a month later he submitted his first draft mm-hmm. of, of post office. And like I said, it, it is this fictionalized account of his life. Even though I don't – I don't know. I have problems reading books about these kind of people mm-hmm. who just drink all the time and and have these, you know, horrible Word. sexual, horrid relationships uh-huh. with people. I, I, I still liked it. Yeah. I, there was something about him – that you and I have touched upon this, Lisa, where we've talked about people where most people, with very few exceptions, are not going to be 100% bad or 100% good. Right. Now, this person definitely, you know, again, not someone I want to, would want to spend time with, but um, there was some good qualities there. Yeah. For example, one of the women that he was involved with. Uh, suffered some serious health issues. I don't yeah. want to give too much away, but you know, you see him taking care of her and and, and other people. That he he, ha- he there, There's this goodness in him. He's got his he's got his issues. He's got his own demons. We all do. Uh, we all <laughs> do. And, and there's a lot of humor in this book too. Uh, some of it's definitely on the more crude side, but, but there's some funny stuff in here. I know you told me when you read it, you found yourself laughing a lot. There's yeah. some funny stuff. I
0: read that and I read Ham on Rye. And I have to say out of the two, I enjoyed Ham on Rye better than The Post Office. I do office. want to read that one. But I do think, you know, I mean, I struggled through the Hemingway books that I read. And I think, uh, I don't know, I think there is something to be said about forcing yourself to struggle through some of the classics uh, I, I don't know maybe it's because I'm a writer so I, I feel like it's almost my duty to kind of discover the evolution of, of uh, different types of styles yes. and voices that you hear so much about it. it it was just hard to actually join in on conversations with people who would reference some of these like you know Vonnegut and Hemingway if you hadn't right. read them you can't really join in on that conversation no, but it's true. I do think you would uh, I'm not going to say that there's any less drinking.
1: Uh, Was it ham on
0: whole wheat? Ham ham on whole wheat, yeah.
1: Ham on whole wheat. Ham on rye, ham on a...
0: Yeah.
1: Tasty bagel. Uh,
0: So, but I'm... I'm, No, seriously, what is it? Ham sandwich? Ham on rye.
1: Ham on rye. Oh, gosh, okay. Thank you. I don't know
0: whether the rye has seeds or not, (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, this book was seedy. (laughs) Ha, ha. No, seriously, though, I... um, I I I I would I'll read more by him. Okay. I, I keep I keep thinking about this book. Yes. I, I finished it a couple of weeks ago. It's still in my head. That's what happened yeah. to me with
0: Hemingway. Yeah. I I read that um uh, the sun also rises, and uh, boy, that was difficult to get through. I know through. it was
1: for you. But then
0: I was excited to read *The Old Man and the Sea*, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that book, and I'm, I'm glad great. I did. But and,
1: and so, uh, what you do? You have another book that you?
0: Well, yeah. Oh, you've got I, some. I was,
1: you've got a lot written. She's got some notes here, and you go ahead.
0: <laughs> I'll shut up.
1: You should. You go ahead. Uh,
0: well, I kind of uh, did a little pivot, and after reading two of Freedom McFadden's book and um, the girl on the train and I'm also in the midst of uh the child finder which I talked about starting last week it's another reading for my class I kind of felt like I needed a little bit of a break and distraction from thrillers I love thrillers Mm -hmm. but I kind of just wanted something a little different um so I kind of went on a little bit of a magical realism short story novelette kind of uh And I'd always heard about Kafka, specifically The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Oh, yes. And um, I was like, you know, I don't know, the premise of somebody waking up, the, the protagonist's name is Gregor, and he wakes up. And he is not a man anymore. He is a giant, basically like cockroach. Oh, wow. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine me I and me with <laughs> bugs if I woke up and I was a bug? I'd, yeah. I'd be like, just squash me. Just, <laughs> just step on me. Because, and I love
1: you, but I'd be willing to do that, I think, at that point. But, I mean,
0: he's humongous. And what's really amazing about it is he's not even, I mean, he's shocked that he's a bug. But... He, that really isn't his prominent worry. No? Um, he's worried that he's going to be late for work. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's trying to figure out how to flip his bulbous body because he's laying on his back with his tiny, thin little legs flailing up <laughs> in the air, you know, like dead bug kind right. of pose. And uh, he's trying to figure out how he can flip himself in order to get ready so he can catch the train to go into work. And I'm thinking, how is this your priority right like yeah. now? wow. You know? Um It was just really you know interesting and and for people who don't really know exactly what magical realism is it's fantasy um with elements of social reality and it's it's basically the premise or focus of it is is to find meaning in life beyond uh how we understand life Uh, in its everyday regular form. Mm -hmm. So by uh, making some extravagant, whether it's like a, you know, the fact that he's a bug, it kind of takes a different, uh, a different view on what it is to ironically be human. Um, but one of the things that was really kind of powerful for me, and I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this book, um, was that he was really kind of perceived as you know he's a bug but he was kind of like treated by his family and others like this monster this outcast that needed to be shut away um when really the way the humans treated him and interacted in life uh really made you see them more as the monster and Greg as, as the kind endearing person that you really were rooting for uh it was a very powerful uh short read and i'm so thankful that i uh finally got around to to reading it so i say uh don't be i don't know the the metamorphosis by Franz kafka is kind of an intimidating title and name it It just sounds like oh lord is that like something you know those people read right but i gotta tell you the writing is effortless it's easy to connect to and um I, I really think that people would uh, would enjoy it.
1: And what an interesting storyline there, too, to wake up and have that happen to you. Oh, and it's then, just
0: wild. Wow. I, I mean, like, his sister starts bringing him bowls of food, like, uh, to try to figure out what he likes to eat. Wow. You know, because nobody understands. Like, it's just, it's a deeply, I will say, it is a tragedy.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: it is not a story that has a happy ending. Um, but there is a deep powerful meaning uh in the read and uh i really i I almost want to say that this is something that everybody should read Uh, it really uh it really really should be i don't want to be a bug and i'm sorry it doesn't endear me to them (laughs) i've stepped on a couple today but let me tell you something if you
1: you, you know what i find intriguing is that he wakes up he's a bug and he still wants to go to work now now, if that happens tomorrow if you wake up (laughs) And you're a bug? I want to go to work. Uh, uh, well, I was, do take the day off, honey.
0: No, I want to go into work. Are you kidding me? If <laughs> I was a bug, I'd be like, oh my God, this is hilarious. So tie <laughs> a scarf around me, get one of my animal print scarves that I love, oh, and yeah, dress yeah. me up and let me walk in there. And, you know, I don't know. They'd probably fling money at me to leave, but.
1: <laughs> You'd be a cute bug. <laughs> wow. So, um, should I move on to yeah, mine? Same. Well, that one sounds great. Now this book is much different. This is a nonfiction book. This is uh, about the band the Doobie Brothers, uh, the legendary band the oh, Doobie I'm Brothers. Familiar. You yeah. are because that's one of my favorite groups. It was actually the first group that I ever saw in concert. I was a freshman in high school, early nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. I saw them on one of their last tours before they broke up. They had broken up for a while. In the early 80s, then got back together again in the late 80s and are still together now. But this was written by two of the founding members, and that is Tom Johnston and Pat Simmons. Like I said, they were both there when the group started and – between the two of them, they initially in the first five years of the band, they were the two lead singers and the main songwriters for the band. Uh, and they had such hits as uh, China Grove, you and I were talking about mm-hmm. that earlier, uh, Long Train Running, which is the, part of the title of this book, uh, Black Water, Listen to the Music, so many songs, a lot of great stuff. Um, now in the mid 70s, they actually, no, let me let me go back a second. This book is told in an interesting way, it's also co written by um an author who's not in the band, whose name is Chris Epting. He does a lot of books that relate to the music world and other things in pop culture. But he co-wrote a book with John Oates of Daryl Hall and John Oates that I liked a lot called Change the Season. But the way this is told, it's told, I guess it's a uh, sort of an oral history mm-hmm. and conversational style where you will see, like I said, it's Pat Simmons, Tom Johnson, you'll see Pat's name in the center of the page. And it's just a couple pages of Pat talking about these experiences that they had. And then the same with Tommy and then others. Uh, it's mainly those two. But like I said, there are others. Other There's a few other... Uh, members of the band who appear throughout it, like their bass player, Tyron Porter, who was another founding member. Later on, Michael McDonald came into the band. <laughs> yeah, I know We laugh about Michael McDonald because he is the king of the yacht rock music. Uh, isn't he's he? the
0: king of everything. He's like, <laughs> uh, oh my God, when you turn on, if, if, for those of you who have XM, if you listen to the yacht rock, sta- yacht rock Station, say that 10 times fast, <laughs> um, Michael McDonald is either actually singing the songs or singing back I mean, the man did not. Li- I'm like, did this guy sleep? Did he do anything other than be in a studio? I he mean, sometimes very, I'm like, I like him, but I need a break. So we're we're gonna hop on over to the '60s old station. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, he's my he's really probably my favorite voice ever in yeah, the music very industry. Very unique. Yeah, um, very unique. And uh, well, and the Doobie Brothers are very unique because the first part of the '70s, like I said, Tommy Johnston. Uh, it's Tom Johnston, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like I know him. Yeah, Tommy Johnston. Yeah. He was primarily the one who did sang most of the hits. Him, him and Pat Simmons. But mid seventies, Tommy Johnston actually developed some problems. He had some health issues, um. and they, oh, there were also some substance issues. There's a little bit. There was a lot of partying going on with the Doobie Brothers back then. But Tommy had to leave the band and my they Michael came in there was mm-hmm. another musician in the band who knew Michael from working together in Steely Dan because Michael had toured with them recorded with them Michael came in their sound changed a little bit and uh he was pretty much uh one of their driving forces for the rest of that decade and then I said the group broke up in the early 80s. And this covers all of that really nicely. It it covers their career back then at the height of their fame and when they got back together again in the late 80s and some of the trials and tribulations that they have been through. And for me as a fan of the band, I I highly recommend this to music lovers. I think if you like the Doobie Brothers or if you just like, you know, reading about that industry, this is quite fascinating.
0: Now, I'm going to stop you for one second here because we're at a good – uh, space to introduce something that I don't think that we've talked about on the previous thing, which is anyone who's listening to this is getting a very small flavor of. My husband is the walking music Wikipedia. <laughs> Actually, no, it's it's beyond that. It's pop culture
1: Wiki, w- Wikipedia. <laughs> it's a Buddypedia. Uh, yeah, Buddy Buddypedia.
0: <laughs> um, so for people who want to kind of chat more and hear more about music with you. You actually just started a podcast that is kind of a companion to your plethora of pop publication on uh, medium. Uh, That's so right. if you want to listen to well, you can't listen to medium, although actually you can now that it reads articles to you. If you want, you can visit plethoraofpop.com. Um, uh, but then also what is the name of your podcast? Uh,
1: my podcast is called got a pop and it's, uh, sort of like like Lisa said, sort of a companion to plethora pop.com where the primary focus is music, but I will also be discussing music. I'm sorry, I just, I just said music. There's yeah. a, so much music that I discuss it. You know, at Music the... is like,
0: it goes in its <laughs>
1: veins. I've so. al- I always say that music is next to you, Lisa. Music uh-huh. is the greatest love of my life. I, right. I, I am a music junkie. I, and by I,
0: next to me, you mean underneath me. Like <laughs> I am number one,
1: right?
0: You are number is one. That- <laughs> Absolutely. Good
1: answer. But uh, yeah, music, movies, TV. Sometimes I'm doing these shows by myself. Sometimes I have guests. I've done three shows so mm-hmm. far, and two have been with guests, and one is by by myself. The next one, uh, well, that's still up in the air. You're yeah. going to be on the show too. I am. So, um, so yeah. So awesome. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for that plug there. I yes. appreciate it. But, the, but this book, like I said, it's wonderful. I loved it. Uh, my only issue with this was, I mean, as a fan, I loved hearing about the recording of their albums, their popular songs. One thing that kind of, I don't know, I was a little – I could have been happier about was there were parts of it where they kind of jumped around a little strangely in time. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a member of the band – through most of the '70s, his name is Jeff Skunk Baxter. Is <laughs> their guitar? Who's one of their guitarists? Wow! And uh, at the, is that his real name? Well, it was Jeff Baxter, but Skunk was his nickname.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And uh,
1: he actually got into politics later. That's a whole other wow. story. Um, and um, he he had quit the ba- He had left the band. I didn't want to say quit because there it was. It was kind of. I think he was asked to leave the band. I see. But this happened. I think it was in 1979, 1980. And they wrote about this in a chapter, and then the next chapter was about an album that was recorded like a year prior to that. Oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, because it was just kind of a little out of order. And the,
0: the, and the rest of it was told in a linear kind of the, fashion. Most of it was most told in it, a linear yeah.
1: fashion, up until like maybe the, I don't know, a little past the halfway point, They you started to see more of this.
0: Like when they were talking about the 70s, so maybe drugs- Came
1: into the and that's maybe. the got a little
0: wobbly. Yeah, maybe. But there's,
1: <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, there were a couple of times where they kind of went back and forth a little bit and, and I, you know, I, I would have preferred if it was a little more linear but for me, having known their history already very, very well going into this, mm-hmm. it wasn't a struggle for me. Right. And, and, and there's a couple things, too, where I thought that maybe they left out some information I would have mm-hmm. liked to have seen. Like certain, like there was one member of the band named John Hartman who had been with them for most of the 70s. He was one of their founding members. He left towards the end of the 70s, but they barely touched upon that. Right. And I know some of these guys are all friends. Maybe it was for personal reasons. Right. They didn't want to go into all that stuff. But me, as someone who's been reading about these musicians, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh well what happened to so and so why did they leave the band right. but if they wanted to you know but they kept it you know on the friendly side right. so you know that, that's fine it's all about the, it's, it should be about the music yeah. anyway so, th- so that's it for that I, I highly recommend Long Train Running: Our Story of the Doobie Brothers by that's Pat Simmons awesome. and Tommy Johnston
0: well, I only have one other little small story I'm going to share that I, I read, and then I'll talk about a book I'm excited about, and you can talk about a book you're excited about, and we'll All right. uh, give our listeners uh, their ears a break. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So the other short story, I'd never heard of this, and I haven't read much of him because, my God, normally his books are like 50,000 pages long.
1: Oh, I think I know who you're going to uh, talk Stephen about. Stephen
0: King. Um, I realize, I've read I've read Norman Mailer, which is not a short, you know, Anna Karenina is not a short novel. And I have read that brilliant piece if you haven't read it. But I found a short story called Elevation by Stephen King. And ah. I was like, oh my God, he, he writes... Um, He writes shorter pieces. I didn't even know he had it in him. Oh, Um, okay. But anyways, it's about this man, Scott, who goes to see his neighbor, who's a retired doctor, Bob Ellis, uh, because he has this problem. He looks the same every day, but he's losing weight. And when he gets on the scale, it doesn't matter whether he's wearing 50 jackets or he's naked. The scale says the same weight and it keeps going down. He can eat all the food in the world and he continues to lose weight. And the, he just, he he goes to this retired doctor and neighbor and kind of friend of his to try to find out what is wrong with him. So it's kind of like this journey between these two characters learning it. And then there's also, uh, it takes place in this small town. and Down the street uh, from Scott is a, a gay couple, Deidre and Missy. And there's a little bit of tension between him and them. Um, and their dog specifically doing its business oh, on his okay. front lawn that creates some, some, uh, some conflict. But really what's amazing, and I'm thinking is the reason why this was called Elevation, is that the the whole premise of the short story is about rising above, literally oh, elevating, okay. uh, rising above our differences and really about bringing people together. It was a very, uh, again magical kind of realism-esque story taking a different version of reality and teaching us something about the world we live in as it is and I really, absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm excited to dive into more of his uh, short fiction and uh, and also to read his own writing. Yeah. Um, But uh, that sounds really
1: good. Yeah. So
0: I highly recommend *Elevation* by Stephen King. I feel like I've just had this fantastic foray into shorter reads, and and it reminded me, as someone who found my own voice writing short fiction. How important it is to not just go for the meaty, hearty things. There's, you know, I I really encourage readers who aren't writers to try short fiction and read it. It is one of the hardest things to write. It is very difficult to write short fiction. And unfortunately, for some reason, I just don't think readers flock to anthologies. So if you're a reader, just a normal reader, and you've never read short fiction, Think about that. The next time you're on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you go to get your books, look for some short fiction. And uh, and really, I, I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it.
1: And what's nice now in the age that we live in, short fiction is easier to have access to. Yes. I know when I was getting into reading mysteries, like I think it was probably mostly in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I, I went through a phase where I wanted to read a lot of mystery short stories. The only way you could really find them was in magazines that you would buy in the store. There was like Ellery Queen Mystery um, Magazine. Okay. with short stories Alfred Hitchcock wow. mystery magazine and, and now uh, because of especially things like Kindle Unlimited where you, yes. can, you can get all these like you know quite literally unlimited books you know as part of the program yeah. you can have access to anthologies that have yeah. those sorts of things so I want to check that out I haven't read a whole lot of Stephen King myself yeah. I think it's maybe a half dozen novels for me so I want to check out some of his short stories Yeah, I'll check out Elevation because oh, I, well, I know someone I mean, who owns yeah, it yeah me yay
0: Um, and, and actually that's another one that's on, um, Kindle Unlimited. Oh, yay. So, um, before we wrap everything up, uh, books that you're excited about.
1: Books that I am excited about. I just started, uh, two. Well, actually, no, I have two that I'm going to read at the same time. Okay. One is a brand new book came out in January. It's called The Chinese Groove. And that is, who did I say that? I, I can't remember who, Maggie something, all right. Well, it's the Chinese group. I'll let you know in the next episode who wrote it. <laughs> it's about an 18-year-old man in China named Shelley who has dreams of moving to the U.S. He's told by his father he has a rich uncle that lives in San Francisco. He can go stay in his home and he, he wants to be a uh, – the young man wants to be a poet. So he wants to move to America, go to San Francisco and uh, you know get rich. And live the extreme American lifestyle. And it's supposed to be a nice mixture of uh, humor, right? Humor yeah. coming of age, uh-huh. but also it's supposed to be very moving. It, it looks really good. I've seen some very good reviews about it. And uh, the other one, too, is a, a rom-com, actually, by oh, nice. uh, a great writer named Rich Amui. Yay, and Rich. You and I both know yes, Rich a little we bit. we go way back. We do. I interviewed Rich years ago uh, for my old podcast, and this one is he's got wonderful titles for his book. This book is actually, well, let me tell you what the plot is. It's a, it's a rom-com, again, about a woman who is a chef and this uh, famous food critic, I guess, very very powerful food critic named Lucas. So I guess at some point does something that kind of ruins her career, and I would I would assume that romance is going to ensue. <laughs> but this book is called "You Chive Me Crazy." That's
0: fantastic. Rich I comes, comes up the title. with the best. The best Nate uh, titles for stories. And he has fantastic covers. And they're very yeah. consistent. And I've read several of his books over the years. Yeah, me too. He's another one. If you have Kindle Unlimited, I think almost all of his books are on there. Yeah. And, and I believe
1: this is his 20th book. Yeah,
0: he's amazing. Yeah, uh, so
1: if you're looking for something fun to read, I, I like I said, I haven't even read this yet. But I, I have a feeling it's going to be fantastic. You were talking
0: about the Chinese groove. I keep wanting to call it the Chinese Grove. You know, like
1: the Doobie Brothers song, China um, Grove.
0: It is by Catherine Ma.
1: Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I knew it was something so like that. So, people
0: who are interested in that. So, how about you? Um, the one that I am excited about, I just learned about and bought this morning. It's called The Book Eaters. What? By Book Eaters? Sun E. Is, Is that our cat? I know. Uh, it's The Book Eaters by Sun E. Dean. And it's about this town of people who, or type of people who, clan of people, I don't know, um, <laughs> who eat books. They and literally eat books. They literally eat books. And so, like, uh, a mystery thriller is kind of like a peppery um, appetizer. A rom- a romance, a rom-com is kind of sweet and tangy like a dessert. But what's interesting is it looks like the protagonist of that story has a son. And he also has kind of an interesting way of fueling his body, except it's not to eat books. It's eat, to eat the minds of people. Whoa. So that is really trippy. But wow, I mean, this is wild it's, sounding. It's crazy. Like, these people eat books and they retain all the information oh, that's the, in them. Man. And kids, when they're bad, you know, when you, you don't do, you know, like in my day, you uh, you got stuck in the corner with some, you know, a bar of lava soap or something. <laughs> um but these the kids are when they they act out they have to eat the musty old pages of a dictionary I guess to <laughs> learn to literally learn their lesson oh
1: that's so really clever I just
0: thought that was so fascinating but I was like oh my god then this this boy gets born and he he likes to eat brains and so I'm wow. I'm thinking I'm I'm really curious because instantly I think this is gonna have to be a quick sooner than rather than later read yeah. because I instantly have all great. these questions like what happens when he eats the brains of other people does he like you know, if these people absorb everything that are in books, does he absorb everything, like the experiences and yeah. stories of people?
1: And what if that person is a killer? Does that make him have killer kinds of instincts, instincts or tendencies? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be interesting. There's really, And
0: as a writer, I look at that and think, yes. oh, there's so many opportunities there, there. Oh, my God. You could, like, eat the brains. Like, I wonder if it could be, like, a different organ donor yeah. uh, situation where you donate your brain. To be eaten.
1: Ow, ow.
0: And, and and the person goes in and like, I don't know, uh does things you wished you could have done, or yeah. undoes things, or helps share things oh, like, about like you. Like you said, there's
1: unlimited possibilities. Or, there.
0: or ooh ooh, 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 They could, um, <laughs> they could eat the brains of uh, recently executed killers from prisons, yeah. and then go back and solve crimes. Right. And this could, is really. They kind could of read sadistic. like
1: uh, books on medicine and become doctors. I yeah. mean, this could be a character on on tonight on a special episode of Grey's Anatomy. We have this, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow! Chomp, chop, chop, chop chomp chomp yeah that sounds exciting
0: yeah so I'm really excited about that I mean there's so Kirby. many other ones we just of course Emily Henry is one of my favorite uh, yeah. uh, authors and she just came out with a happy place I've read a lot of her books I still have I, I need to read book lovers too uh, I haven't read that yet People We Meet on Vacation is fantastic I, I'm looking
1: forward to reading her and some too. of his
0: her his her YA books uh, A Million Junes I think is what it was called and The Love That Split the World were fantastic That those are the books that actually um, uh, introduced her writing to me, and and we were lucky enough. We were not lucky. We paid for it uh, <laughs> to go to Barnes and Noble's virtual release event uh, with Emily uh, for uh, Happy Place. Yeah, and that boy, was really
1: fun to listen to. Yeah,
0: check out Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble has a lot of free virtual events uh, that you can go to, like the midday mystery things. Unfortunately, they happen well midday, three o'clock. So those of us who are in offices, we can't do it. But, um, or just close your door and
1: hide from your boss. Those are free.
0: You can yes, you can you can uh, you can totally uh, pay for autograph uh, versions of the book. Um, but if you just want to meet the authors and hear the uh, the conversations, uh, those are those are free. But then they also have these special. Um, special things that you have to pay to get in. And part of the ticket is to get an autograph copy of the book and then obviously help, you know, the writers and, That's, and all I think that. it's wonderful. So,
1: I'm looking forward to attending more of those and just learning more about I'm, I'm more still, and more writers. I'm fingers crossed that, that
0: Barnes & Noble is going to do one with Henry Winkler. Oh, uh,
1: when his book comes yes. out this fall. I would, I would really, I would enjoy attend a, Henry Winkler's. A,
0: a virtual event yeah. uh, for him. but. Well, I think that just about does it for this episode. I think it
1: does. And I wanted to, Lisa was nice enough to mention my podcast, my other podcast, and I wanted to mention uh, her online. She's got her own website. Is it Lisa M. Gott?
0: Yeah, that's my name, I think. Well, I I want to do, you know. Yeah, it's lisamgott.com. Right. Uh, There's not a lot on there um, because Lisa M. Gott needs to get on there and write some more. (laughs) Uh, But between, you know, school and reading and all that, sometimes it's difficult. Well, I did
1: want to, and that's very true. I did want to mention, though, that if you're on Instagram, check Lisa out. And check me out, too. We're both on there and Twitter. Yeah,
0: on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Lisa M. writes.
1: Yeah, and I'm, uh, I think Buddy just God. Buddy God mm-hmm. on both, both of those. Yeah. So, awesome. so, yeah, we're around. Yeah. So if we, you like this show, you know, we are elsewhere oh, as well.
0: and before we leave, one last thing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with books, although reading pairs with coffee, coffee, tea, whatever you drink. All these things provide comfort, right? Yeah, that is very
1: true. Uh, right? Just
0: kind of like comfort food. And I got to tell you, this morning, what fueled us for this show was a delicious breakfast Um, at a local uh, diner here in Wilmington, Delaware called Goober's Diner. It's this retro, really cool place so if you ever happen to find yourself in uh, Wilmington, visit Goober's uh, Diner on Lincoln Street. It's fantastic. <laughs>
1: That's right. So, uh, yeah, maybe we can get them to endorse the show. Maybe we can <laughs> get some free meals. But...
0: <laughs> we might need to do a couple more episodes before
1: anybody. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But anyway, we thank you very much for yes. listening to us. It was a blast doing this. Yes,
0: and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you, I guess, uh, in, uh, yes. in, a, in a month. Yeah, uh, happy
1: reading, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, happy reading. Bye.
0: Bye.